Our reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the message of ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favour, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. Living for yourself, is that a good or a bad thing? Depends on who you ask, really. A significant number of musicians seem to favour living for yourself. James Brown said, you've got to live for yourself, yourself and nobody else. The drummer Neil Peart maintains that you should live for yourself, there's no one else worth living for. And Jimi Hendrix said... I'm the one that has to die when it's time for me to die, so let me live my life the way I want to. This is your life. You must die by yourself, so for heaven's sake, live for yourself and no one else. That was his advice. On the other hand, Bob Marley, with typical poetry, said, live for yourself and you will live in vain. Live for others and you will love again. And while she was no musician, Catherine Hepburn said, I don't believe in religion. I believe in the example of Christ. I believe in the example of a perfect human being. That if you can live for other people away from yourself, you will be happy. If you live for yourself, you will be unhappy. And then you will not be able to sleep or do anything else. Finally, I think, insofar, and I really believe this, insofar as people live with the other fellow in mind, they'll be happy, you know, because it raises you up. Rick Warren puts the question bluntly, who are you going to live for, yourself or God? And St Paul put it this way, Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Who's right? Well, it has to be said that the track record of some of those who promote living for themselves comes with its own health warning. 
Jimi Hendrix dying at the age of 27, choking on his own vomit when intoxicated with barbiturates. James Brown lived into his 70s, but his life was tumultuous, with arrests for carrying a deadly weapon at a public gathering, driving under the influence of drugs, attempting to flee a police officer, and being charged with domestic violence. Paradoxically, living for yourself can easily end up being quite destructive. Whereas, as Catherine Hepburn observed quite shrewdly, living with the other fellow in mind raises you up. There are links between being self-centred and being lonely. If you're very involved with yourself, that means you can end up pushing other people away. And the more you push other people away, the more likely you are to end up putting your own needs, desires and preferences first. And that can lock you into feelings of being socially isolated with a correspondingly negative impact on our physical and mental health. There's research that that suggests that feelings of loneliness function as warning signs that all is not well with us. Just as physical pain alerts us to the danger of damage to the body, so loneliness is a warning that all is not right with our social relationships. We need other people around us to flourish. The feeling of loneliness alerts us to the way in which we rely on other people to do well ourselves. The problem is that none of us likes to admit to that kind of weakness. We prefer to tell ourselves, I can manage alone. I don't need anybody else. I can take care of myself. And in the short term, it's true. But in the long term, the reality is that we are at our best when we are helping and protecting each other. Together we are more than the sum of our parts and being isolated simply isn't good for us. Adam, perfect human being in a perfect creation, God looks at him and says, it's not good for the man to be alone. St Paul understood well enough the need for us to be connected to each other. That's why he talks about reconciliation in this passage because reconciliation, you need somebody else to be reconciled to. It's a focus on being reconciled to God, but also, correspondingly, being reconciled to each other. Sin is not just about doing something wrong. Sin lies at the root of our isolation and our estrangement from other people. Sin cuts us off, separates us, alienates us from God, from each other, from ourselves, from our work from the world in which we live. And the answer to sin is the reconciliation that God offers us through his Son. Putting back together again everything that sin has destroyed. Joining together what sin has separated. Paul puts it this way, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. People puzzle over what it means for Jesus to become sin for us, but Margaret Thrall puts it this way, to say that Christ was made sin means that he came to stand in that relation with with God which normally is the result of sin, estranged from God, the object of God's wrath. Christ's death was the consummate experience of that personal 
alienation from God which has characterised human life from the beginning. Jesus became sin for us. Dying on the cross in the place of desolation, despair, isolation, death and God-forsakenness. Being cut off from everybody. And we see him there identifying completely with us in our sin, in our isolation, in our estrangement, in our alienation, in our God-forsakenness, into our experience of death, so that through his resurrection, we might in turn receive his gift of life, his reconciliation, his restoration. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And the word righteousness carries relational overtones again here. It's about being right with God. It's about being identified with God in his goodness. We're not righteous in isolation. We are righteous in our relationship with God and with each other. Being the righteousness of God means there's nothing wrong between me and God. I know that God is with me, alongside me, not over against me, opposing me. There's no enmity or hostility or anger or fear. In the righteousness of God, I am one with God, alongside God, reconciled to God. And whatever issues there may have been in the past were dealt with comprehensively, completely, once and for all, when Jesus died on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be on side with God. And whereas once I was estranged from God, alienated from the love of God who made me, now through his Son I have been reconciled to God and all is well. And what works on the vertical plane in terms of our own individual relationship with God is also worked out on the horizontal plane in terms of our relationships with each other. In the righteousness of God we are reconciled to each other as well. Because the isolation and estrangement of sin has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. So it's about being good together. Not suspicious of each other, not angry with each other or hostile towards each other, but being welcomed by the risen Lord into an extended family where we belong together to him and to each other. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change the way we perceive other people. If we are insecure, we see other people as threats, competitors, a danger to us. We assess, am I inferior to them or superior to them? Where do I fit in the pecking order? We feel vulnerable, we're afraid of what other people might think of us. We feel threatened by them. But if I know that I am accepted by Christ... I'm not so afraid of what other people might think of me. I'm not so fearful of other people's rejection. It gives me a confidence which delivers me from a crippling fear of others. 
It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Partly it's simply a matter of seeing other people through fresh eyes. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, we don't regard anyone anymore from a worldly point of view. We don't look at anyone according to the flesh. would be a more literal translation. What does that mean? It means sitting in judgment on other people. Trying to find ways to put them down or have them at a disadvantage. Not accepting other people on their own terms. Envying them, weighing them up to assess how useful they might be or how much good we might be able to make of them or how much damage they might cause us. No, Paul says we don't look at anyone that way anymore. We look at people with fresh eyes. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Christ's resurrection transforms everything. That means that whoever this person is, however I might have regarded them in the past, I now need to see this person as someone for whom Jesus died. And the love which sent Christ to the cross to die for that person now needs to reign in my heart and govern my attitude towards them and my responses to them. And if Jesus gave his life for me, which he did, that means I can't just live for myself in disregard for him or anybody else. I need to live my life for the one who died for me and was raised again. Jesus wants to put that love that he has for that person into my heart, overruling my own natural inclination to put myself first. So if I live for Christ, that means I need to reach out to the person for whom Jesus sacrificed his life can't just discount everybody else and concentrate on living my own life. Jesus died and rose again for me. My life belongs to him. Jesus died and rose again for this other person as well. I need to see them through Jesus' eyes. The death and resurrection of Christ means that everything is different and nothing can ever be the same again. If anyone is in Christ. There is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We are transformed. How we see other people has been transformed. That feels a bit like an ideal. And we know we always fail to measure up to ideals. And some of us may be tempted to reject it because it just feels unattainable and it looks easier and safer just to carry on living for ourselves because at least we know where we stand. But if we see that something is good and worthwhile, it's perversely sinful to reject it just because we know we can't attain it. And we don't need to do that, actually, because the gospel starts with God's acceptance of us with our failings, with our shortcomings, with our selfishness, with our insecurities, with our fears. Christ became sin for us. Christ entering into our isolation to redeem us from it and to raise us up from death to life with him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that through him we might be reconciled to each other.
so that Christ might send us into the world to be his ambassadors, to build bridges across which other people can come into the kingdom, to build bridges of trust and love and reconciliation and righteousness. We are called not to be people who pull the drawbridge up and sit secure and safe behind it. We are called to be people who are vulnerable, who let other people in. Those words, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, apply to how we perceive other people, but they apply to us as well. The resurrection of Jesus has the potential to release the life-changing love of God into our hearts. To turn our lives around. To change the whole orientation of who we are and how we live from no longer being turned in on ourselves, but instead being turned out to those around us. Being prepared to take the first step being prepared to be a bit vulnerable, being prepared to reach out, being prepared to accept the person that we don't quite know very well. The reality is that none of us is beyond redemption. None of us is incapable of being changed for the better. Christ came to bring you out of death into life. Christ came to deliver you from isolation and bring you into his extended family. Christ died to enable you to live, not for yourself, but for him, the one who died for you, was raised on high, the one who welcomes you into his new creation where you are accepted, where you are forgiven, And where the love which accepts and forgives you is poured out into your heart, enabling you to accept and forgive others in turn. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, urges them to be reconciled to God. It's not quite clear whether he's talking to them or he's he's talking to the wider world. But these were people who knew Christ. And he says to them, "You, you still need to be reconciled to God. And there are times in our lives when we we just put the barriers up. Where we lapse into being a bit introverted or a bit selfish. Where we turn in on ourselves. And this Easter, Jesus calls us to say, whoa, that's not where I should be. That's not how God is calling me to live. Gently, he accepts us. He forgives us, he renews us, and he invites us to turn out and look out to other people. Not to rest in the isolation that comes from insecurity and sinfulness, but actually to allow ourselves to be part of his new creation, where we belong to each other and to him. Paul says, now is the time of God's favour. Today is the day of salvation. This is the moment when Christ calls us out of ourselves, calls us into his light, into his love, into his grace, 
calls us to be there for each other and with each other as ambassadors of his love who people who know his reconciling grace. So why not this Easter time, perhaps for the first time in a while, welcome Christ afresh into your heart and allow him to change you from the inside out forever. So let's pray. Lord, you know the things that cut us off from other people. The fear of rejection. The memories of things that have been said that have been hurtful in the past. old anger and hurt. Lord, we have built walls around ourselves to make us feel safe. But in our isolation, we are lonely. Lord, we we are powerless to dismantle those walls ourselves, but we invite you to break them down and pull them apart and come into our hearts with your grace, with your love, and with your healing. And would you build bridges of communication of openness and trust and reconciliation between us and yourself. Thank you that you understand us. Help us to understand you. Lord, you are faithful. Help us to trust you. You are righteous. Put us right with you. And Lord, would you do the same for our relationships with each other? Enable us to understand each other. To trust each other. To be right with each other. To accept each other to forgive as we have been forgiven. Lord, enable us to model reconciliation, good relationships, your peace, that we as individuals and as a community might be the people you call us to be, living and working together for the glory of your name. Amen.